The reading today is out of Matthew chapter 18, verse 21 to 35. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Jesus said to him, do not say, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a certain king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. And when he had begun to settle them, there was brought to him one who owed him 10,000 talents. But since he, had, since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. The slave, therefore, falling down, prostrated, prostrated himself before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you everything. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him that, the debt. But that slave went out and found his fellow slaves who, slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. And he seized him and began to choke him, saying, Pay back what you owe. So this fellow slave fell down and begged to entreat him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you. He was unwilling, however but went and threw him in prison until he should pay what was owed. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. Then summoning, summoning him, his Lord said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all the debt because you entreated me, should you not have also had mercy on your fellow slave, even as I had mercy on you? And his Lord was moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed. So shall my heavenly Father also do to you, if each of you does not forgive his brother from his heart. Good morning. I don't know if any of you have ever said this or heard this, but have you ever said, uh, or maybe your parents said it to you, or you've heard people say it where they say, do as I say, not as I do. Have you ever heard that before? Maybe that sounds familiar. Um, I've heard it a few times throughout my life, different things, and you know, somebody tells you something and then they turn around and do the exact thing they told you not to do and you're going, especially as a kid, and then they say that, do as I say, not as I do. Really what we're going to look at in Galatians today very much goes straight to that point because that's what was happening and that's what we're going to see as we look at it today. What happens when our actions don't line up with our words? And, we can, and as we see today, as we start to look at that, it can be detrimental to the gospel. So that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. But before we jump into that, before we look at the, the specific part of the passage, and just so you know, we're going to be in Galatians chapter 2, 
And we're going to look at verses 11 to 21 this morning. Um, but before we get there, I want to catch you up just on the, the occasion of writing Galatians, um, what was going on, what was happening, just real briefly. If you've been with us, you're, you're start, hopefully you're starting to get this. Um, if you haven't or you've missed one, I just want to catch you up real quick so you know the context to what we're looking at. And what's happening is Paul's writing a letter to the churches in Galatia to address some false teaching, some bad teaching. That, that there's Jesus, what the teaching was saying is it's Jesus plus keeping the laws of the Old Testament, keeping the dietary laws, doing these things. So what they were teaching was a Jesus plus gospel. And Paul writes this letter and he is serious about uh, going after this false gospel. And that's what we've been looking at. And he starts right from the beginning and he says, I know this is false and it's wrong because that's not the gospel. He says there's only one gospel and that's Christ alone, faith in Christ alone. And then he says, I know this because I got it directly from God. He says, I got my revelation directly from God. And we looked at that the first week. And then the second week he started to defend why they should believe Paul over these other teachers that have come into these churches. And the second part he starts to go into and he says, my life bears witness to it. And that's what we looked at, how his life changed from before the gospel to after the gospel, that it bears witness to what he's saying. And then last week, Paul started to take his argument into, um, you, you get it in the context of Galatians, that the argument was the apostles in Jerusalem, the original disciples that followed Jesus, were teaching a different gospel than Paul was teaching. And he says that is not the case. And last week we saw he started to talk about a time when he went to Jerusalem and talked with the apostles. And he says, no, no, we stood arm in arm. We're saying the exact same thing. We're on the same page. So that's where we were last week because he's making his defense. This week it takes kind of an abrupt shift. Last week we were saying he's making the case to make sure that everybody knows he and the apostles are on the same page. But then all of a sudden he shifts to say, but, where, where we start today, verse 11 starts with but. And then he says, but I oppose Peter. And he starts to talk about what happens and how he had this conflict with Peter. So it's kind of interesting when you think about it that here he's making the case that I'm the same with the apostles, but Peter and I had this disagreement. And he shifts into this, and the reason he does it is because the, uh, Peter's words were not lining up um, with his actions. And it is so serious that Paul says, I oppose Peter. And that's what we're going to look at today, that, that thought of do as I say but not as I do. That's, that's what was happening with Peter. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. So if you'd look with me, um, verses 11 to 21 in chapter 2 of Galatians, we're going to read that and then we'll jump in and look at what it says. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I said this once before, I'm going to stop again and say it again. Cephas is Peter. If you're unsure about that, Cephas is just the Aramaic name for Peter, just so we're clear. I don't want to confuse you. But, but when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned for before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by his hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew... How can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus. In order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, 
because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. Transgressor. For though the law, for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Let's pray and then we're going to look at those verses. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for preserving it for us, that we can know without a shadow of a doubt that we are saved by your grace alone, by what you did for us in Christ. We pray this morning that as we look at this, that we would uh, take it to heart, that we would let the gospel have its way with us, that we would seek out and root out any spots in our life where we're not walking in step with the gospel, that we would do all that we can to uh, extend the grace that you've given us to others. We thank you for what you've done for us, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. As we look at this confrontation, Paul going and retelling of when Peter came to Antioch and how he went and he had this confrontation with him, there's three questions I want us to ask of this, of this retelling of this confrontation. The first is, what is the problem? Why, you know, why is he, he having this confrontation with him? Second, how do we solve it? Or what's the answer? And then third, what is the outcome? What happens when we get the answer that Paul's telling us? Okay, so first, what is the problem? Just as background, before we even jump into this, this was three weeks, four weeks ago now when we first started this series. I want to read for you Galatians 1, 7, and 8 because I want you to get in your mind how serious it is what Paul's saying that when Peter's out of step with the gospel. He says this in uh, verses 7 of 8 of chapter 1. Not that there is another one. He's talking about a gospel. There's no other gospel. He says, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. That word accursed literally means be damned. Let him be damned. That's what Paul says. That's how serious he is about having the gospel so clearly presented. So I want you to just have that in your mind as we look at this confrontation because Peter's not lining up with it. And Paul's already said how serious he is about standing up for the gospel in any, any place. So with that in mind, what is the problem? Look at verses 11 through 13. So Peter comes to Antioch and I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men he came from James, he was eating with Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself fearing the circumcision party, and the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Do you see what's happening here? What's happening is right before this, what we looked at last week, Peter, James, John, they're all standing with Paul together saying, no, it is faith alone. It is not that the way, what you eat or what you wear or any of those things, it is faith alone. And it says they didn't yield for a second. That's what we looked at last week. But then all of a sudden, a little while later, Peter comes down to Antioch, and suddenly the way he's acting is not lining up with that. What happened was Peter was eating with Gentiles, and he was living the gospel. We're all the same. We're all saved the same way. It doesn't matter what they eat or their background. The ritual uncleanness of the Old Testament is now gone because Jesus 
We are only made clean in him and what he's done for us. But then all of a sudden when the circumcision party shows up, these guys that say, no, you have to be Jewish, Peter draws back. And he says, I'm not going to eat with those guys because what they might think. And that's actually what it tells us. It says that, but when he, uh, that he drew back in verse 12, it says, because he was fearing the circumcision party. Out of fear, Peter decided, I'm not going to live this out. I'm afraid of what those people over there might think. And what happens is he's, he's out of step with the gospel in his actions. If you know about Peter, this is even more so. It's even greater offense, really, when you think about Peter. If you know the story of Peter in Acts 10, Peter has a vision from God. The the sheet comes down with the food on it, and and God tells Peter it's no longer unclean. And what he's telling Peter through, he has this vision three times, and what he's telling him is to go to the Gentiles. And they're saved the same. We're all saved the same under Christ. So Peter knows this. Without a shadow of a doubt. What we looked at last week, we saw that Peter knows this. He stood with Paul and said, yes, it is faith alone. But then all of a sudden, when it gets a little sticky and it's uh, somebody might think poorly of him, he draws back. And he doesn't, his, his actions don't line up. And what he's doing is Peter's saying, I'm living in the freedom of Christ and we're all the same, but he's not acting it out. And Paul says here that uh, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. What Paul brings out here is he says, absolutely, there is no two ways about it. He was wrong. Condemned means he's guilty. He says, I oppose Peter because the way he's acting is absolutely wrong when you look at the gospel. So Paul calls him out for it. Um, So the problem is Peter's acting hypocritically. That's what it means to be a hypocrite. When you're not doing what you say you believe. That's literally what it means. That's what our first... uh, um, I was thinking about that this morning, that that, that that thought, when you're not in step with the gospel, that you're not extending the grace that you were given. That's what our first reading was this morning, and I don't know if you caught it as we were, as we were reading, hearing that this morning, from Matthew 18. It was Peter who asked the question, how many times should I forgive him? Should it be seven times? And Jesus says, no, 70 times seven. And then he tells the story of the unforgiving servant. And you get to the end of that, and what Jesus says is you are to extend the grace that you have received. That's, that's what the story was about. And it's interesting to think that it was Peter who asked that question, but that yet here is Peter with Gentiles, and as soon as push comes to shove, he steps back and he, he, he distances himself from them. He's not going to stand up. He's not going to stand with them and let the gospel stand because he's afraid of what people might say. Interesting question to think, to consider, why would Peter do that? Why would he step back in that? It tells us for fear, that's part of it, but why, heart issue, root, uh, the root of why we do that. Why do we as Christians walk in ways that are not in step with the gospel? We all do it at different times. We step back, maybe we're not as bold as we should be, maybe it's something like that where, oh no, these people might think this, and we step back. And I want us to think just for a second about why we do that, because it's important when we consider the problem to think why we do what we do. Um, I think it goes back all the way to original sin. If you know the original sin, Adam and Eve in the garden, God says, don't do this. I don't want you to eat from this tree. I want you to trust me. And what do Adam and Eve do? They decide for themselves. No, I think I know better. I'll go ahead and eat. Thanks, God, but I'll, I'll make this decision myself. 
And what happens is they sin, and sin enters the world, and we're all sinners, and it's gotten into our lives, and it affects every part of our being, and we're the exact same way today. We do that over and over. We decide, I will be the sinner, and I will make the decision. It becomes about me. It becomes me-centered. That's exactly what happened with Peter when you look at this story. He's become me-centered because what he's doing is he knows the gospel is clearly this, right? He knows what the gospel is. But when, when someone says he's worried about what someone thinks, he immediately thinks of what they're going to think of me. It becomes me-centered. It becomes about how I feel and what they're going to think about me and what I sh- what you, you understand how it turns. And we do this all the time. That's, that's the root of idolatry. We make ourselves the, the uh, final authority. It's about me. It's what Paul says in Romans 1. That they, uh, professing to be wise, um, they became fools because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and they, they worshipped the creation rather than the creator. We do that all the time. We, we are part of the creation. We make it all about my intellect and my mind and, oh, well, God couldn't have meant this. I will decide to do this. And we do it over and over and it, to be honest, it slips into Christianity. It slips into our religion. And we slip back into works-based righteousness. And what I mean by works-based righteousness is we're trying to make ourselves righteous before God by our works. And the very foundational reason we do that is because we're me-centered. I need to do this so God says I'm okay. And it becomes back on us. And to a degree, that's what Peter was doing. I need to step back and not do this because... Somebody might think that you see how that goes, see how that reasoning and it slips right into our religion and what we're thinking. If I do this, people will accept me. If I do this, they'll think I'm a good person. If I try my hardest, God will accept me. We do all those things, even though we know that that is not in step with the gospel. If you're a believer and you've come to Christ, you know, that's not how you're saved. But it's very hard to live that way sometimes. Our sin nature creeps back in and it becomes all about me and what I think and what other people will think of me. And that's what Peter does here. And it turns into that more than anything else. And he lets it have its way over the gospel. And that's why he's out of step with the gospel. That's what happens here. Um, When that creeps into the church, what happens is we start to compare ourselves with others. We start to gossip. We are talking about that this morning in the new member class. That that's what, that's what is the root of if someone confesses something or you hear something and you go and tell someone else, what you're doing is comparing yourself to them. Oh, listen to what they did. And what you're really saying is, I'm not as bad as they are. Right? And it's, it's crept into me-centered. I'm comparing me to them. Or I'm comparing them to somebody else. And that's, that's what happens when the gospel is not centered. We start to do that. So the problem here, the problem we see that Paul goes to address is Peter's being a hypocrite. He's out of step with what the gospel says and is. He's not living it. And that's a big problem. As you know, I started with that, do as I say, not as I do. Right? You've heard that before. It's kind of like uh, if you as a parent tell your children you shouldn't smoke, smoking's bad for you. It'll stain your teeth and it'll give you lung disease. It'll give you all these bad things. Don't you ever do it. And then you say, now go grab my lighter. Or, or run to the store and buy me a carton of cigarettes. And everything you just said, they're going, really? You just undermined everything you just, and we do it all the time with different things. But that's what was happening here. Peter's saying, yes, it's faith alone, but oh no, I better not eat with those people. 
I better not do this. And his life was saying something else, and that's why I read that at the beginning of Paul saying, no matter who it is, anyone who says another gospel, I'm going to go right at them, and you should too. That's why even though Peter, here's big head of the church in Jerusalem, one of the original twelve, and Paul says, I went right up to him and told him. So what's the answer? What did he tell him? What's the answer to this problem of being a hypocrite, of not walking in line with the gospel? Um, what it is not. Let's start with what it is not. Look at verses uh, 15 and 16. He says, We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law. Right? What it is not is more rules or more legalism. What I mean by that is if you're not walking in line with the gospel, it's not let's add a bunch of rules to get you to walk in line with the gospel. All that does is make more legalism and add more stuff on, and it doesn't really change the heart problem. Just adding a bunch of rules doesn't really get to it. Just trying to think of a good example. This may not be the best, but it's kind of like if you've got a lion and you want to tame the lion, and instead of taming him, you just put him in a cage, a really small cage, and you say, look, he can't move anywhere. He's, he's good. We're all safe. Well, you haven't really changed the lion. You haven't tamed him to where you can lead him and pet him and all that thing. You've just added external forces to keep them from moving. It's the same thing. If we add a whole bunch of rules and a whole bunch of things, but our heart is still wrong, all we've done is add external forces to keep us in place, but we haven't really changed. You see how that is? And that's what Paul says here. We ourselves, as Jews by birth, are not Gentile sinners. We know that you can't be justified. Verse 15, the we. What Paul is talking about, the we. Paul's saying, me and Peter, we're both Jews. We both have tried this. We've both gone down this path of adding rules on top of rules on top of rules and trying to keep our way to righteousness, and we know it doesn't work. Paul knew better than anyone. He was a pro at being a legalist. He was a pro at having rules on top of rules, and he knows as well as anyone it doesn't work. That's not the way you get to a real change. Verse 17 and 18. Look at 17 and 18. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. What Paul's saying, and that's kind of a tricky verse. It's been a long time on that. You read a whole lot of stuff, and this is real. Uh, a lot of commentaries, a lot of people like to talk about what exactly is he saying. And I think what Paul is saying here is, but if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we're found to be sinners... What he's saying is it doesn't negate. If you still sin and you still fall and you still have problems and you're clinging to being justified by faith alone, that doesn't negate being justified by faith alone. And then he even steps further and he says, and the answer is not that if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. What he's saying is I don't need to redouble my efforts and get more and more rules so that I can come in line. That's not the answer. It's not add more and more stuff to it. And just because there's problems or there's missteps or there's hypocrisy where we step out of line with the gospel, that doesn't negate that you're saved by faith alone. That doesn't change that. Um, look at verse 19. And he kind of he follows it up with verse 19 and he says, For through the law I died to the law so that I might live to God. Paul has some weird ways of saying stuff sometimes. And you read that and you say, Through the law I died to the law. And you go, what? It kind of, you have to really think about it for a second and really get into what he's saying. 
But what I think he's saying there is he says, through the law, I died to the law. What he's saying is the law itself showed me that I could never make myself acceptable through it. Does that make sense? I, I went and I had all these rules and I tried my hardest and I did all this and all it showed me is I can't do this. I can never keep all of them. That's what it showed me. And then he says, so I stopped living it. I died to the law as my savior. You see how that is? Because works-based righteousness, your savior is you keeping the law. And Paul says, I died to that because that doesn't work. And that's what he's saying. So the answer, what the answer is not is more legalism or more rules or adding stuff on top of it. So what's left? What is the answer? What's the answer that changes us from hypocrites to truly believing what we what, uh, acting out what we say. The answer is in verse 16, and it's the second half. He says, We know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. What he's saying is the answer is the gospel. That's going back to the gospel. And you may say, Really? <laughs> Isn't that the answer every week? And my answer to that is yes. It is the answer every week. It is the answer that answers all of it to be gospel-centered and go back to the heart of the gospel and what Christ did for you. Sometimes in churches we like to talk about the meat of the word versus the milk of the word. Have you ever heard that before? It's an analogy used throughout scripture. It's a very good one, by the way. I'm not making light of it. It's in 1 Peter. It's in 1 Corinthians. It's uh, in Hebrews. And what it says is when we become believers, we, we need this, the pure spiritual milk of the word, the basics. We need to understand the basics of the gospel. And then we move on to the, the deeper doctrines as we study and we learn and we move. And we do. That is absolutely true. In Hebrews, it talks about um, that when you're grown, you shouldn't be still having the milk. And it's a great analogy. To think of an adult walking around with a, bottle, a baby bottle saying, no, I'm still, you know, if you've been a Christian for 20 years and you're still on the basics, it ought not be that way. That's what Hebrews says, that you should be striving to learn more and to grow in your faith. But here's the problem. I think sometimes when we start to talk about meat versus milk, the milk of the word versus the meat of the word, and we talk like the gospel is the milk, and then we move on to greater, bigger things. But the reality is the gospel is the meat. We never move past it. We never go past the gospel. What happens, though, is the gospel is so foundational, it has to inform everything else. So we always go back to the gospel. Even when we move on to greater, shouldn't say greater, we harder truths, get into more depth, and we still have to see it through the gospel. I like to think of it as the gospel's glasses. And before you're saved, you can't see it all, you can't make... You know, you're completely blind. And you put the glasses on and then you can see. And to move on to the other doctrines and the other things, you still need to have the glasses on, the lens of the gospel, to see it correctly. Because what happens is if you take the glasses off and you move ahead, then you're just a mess. And that's how you get out of step with the gospel. So the gospel is the meat. I heard it said the other day, the gospel is not the ABCs of the Christian faith. It is the A to Z. It's all of it. It is the central thing, and it has to be. Um, and it's most necessary that we get this, that we keep coming back to the gospel and we let it inform us. Martin Luther says it this way in his uh, commentary on Galatians. He said, It is a principal article of all Christian doctrine 
most necessary it is that we should know this article well, teach it to others, and beat it into our heads continually. It's kind of a rough way to say it, but that's true. We need to go back to the gospel at every turn and let it have its way with us in all that we say and do. And it's so important to get that distinction. First and foremost, and he says this all through it, we've said this every week, the most important reason we get that distinction is you can't be saved by your works. No one can. You cannot be saved by your works. And that's what he says right there in verse 16. Not a person will be justified by his works. And just so we're clear, I hate when we throw out words sometimes like, like justified or we say sanctified or we get into those things. Justified just simply means being set right with God. Being declared righteous. He's given you his righteous, righteousness and the only way you can get that is through Jesus. There's nothing you can do to earn it. That's the first part. That's why it's so important. But just in the practical of when we talk about hypocrisy and not walking in step with the gospel... It's so important because true and lasting real change that people can see comes from the inside out. It comes from a changed heart. And a changed heart comes from response to the gospel. That's the only way that happens. So it's so important that we get the heart change, that we always go back to the gospel. And it's so important for us as believers to get this right, that we're not walking in hypocrisy that people aren't going, well, their life doesn't line up with what they're Because, and I'm going to tell you, part of it, and it's kind of twofold here. Part of it is, as believers, and I want you to try this out, just as, as the world looks at Christianity, most people, and, and, I, and I challenge you to ask non-Christian friends, explain to me what Christianity means and what it believes. Nine times out of ten, you will get Christianity is... You follow Jesus' teachings, you follow the Ten Commandments, you do your best, and if you do that, you'll go to heaven. That will Nine times out of ten, that's what you'll hear. And that's the way the world operates. That's the way they think of Christianity. So when we walk and we're not, we're just like the world, we're doing everything just like them, and they have that view of Christianity, they're say, what it says to them is they're saying, and, and this is wrong, by the way, that's not what Christianity is, that's not it. But what they say is, from the outside looking in, it looks like these people are saying they're saved because they're better than me. They're doing better than I am, which is not true. That's not why we're saved. That's not it at all. But that's what it looks like. And if we don't correct that error in, in, in the way we live, but in also by telling people the gospel, explaining the gospel, letting them know what it is, we look like the biggest hypocrites in the world. And that's why a lot of people don't want to have anything to do with Christianity. That's the sad truth. I was thinking about this the other day. There was a, a band I liked in high school, and the, the guitarist was, went to Harvard and was this really bright guy, and he, he led all these rallies against all this bad stuff and whatever. And I always thought, hi, he seems to be a pretty together guy. And then I heard somebody ask him, why, um, what do you think of Christianity? It was in an interview. And he said, I think he's got a lot of good ideas, but I never even considered being a Christian because of the Christians I met. And it was so, I remember, I still remember, that was probably 15 years ago I read that. And I remember being so saddened by that, that that's the case. That we don't walk in step with what we believe. But the reality is, and I bring that up about people understanding what it is and what it means, we need to do a better job of walking in line with what the gospel says. 
which is extending the grace that we've received, which is what we read in Matthew 18 this morning. But we also need to be a, do a better job of explaining what the gospel is. The gospel is not that I'm better than anyone. It's not that you are better than anyone. The reality is we're all the same sinners. We've just been saved by what Jesus has done for us. It's not that I'm better. Maybe you've heard the joke. I've heard preachers say this for years, and now I'm, now I'm going to say it. But <laughs> If you've ever heard what they say, um, if you knew all, all my sins, none of you would be sitting here listening to me. And then the next step goes, and if I knew all yours, we wouldn't let you in the building. It's very true. Because we, as, as Christians, are sinners that have been justified what Jesus does for us. It's not that we did some good stuff and then God saved us. It's the other way around. He saved us in spite of ourselves, and now we try to live in step with it. So what is the outcome? What is the outcome when we get that, when we go back to the gospel and we let it have its way in our lives? Look at verses 20 and 21. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's no longer about works. It's no longer about what people think about me. It's no longer um, me-centered. When we really get this, what happens is my ego is no longer central. It's no longer about me. It's no longer me-centered. It's all about what Christ has done for me, and that's exactly what Paul says. I no longer live but Christ who lives in me. Anything I do that is good, anything that I say that is good, anything that I help is because Christ is living within me and he's starting to shine through. It's not me. And what happens when we get that is it frees us from what happened with Peter. It frees us with caring for, with, from caring more what people think than what God thinks. It frees us to walk the way we believe. Because I'm accepted by what he's done, and it's him in me, not me. So what people think of me is not as important as what God thinks of me, which is he's completely accepted me because of what Jesus has done on my behalf. And it's a wonderful, freeing thing, because we fall back into the works-based righteousness all the time. I need to do this so that I'm accepted. But when we get this, it pulls us out of that, and we get off that going round and round, and we step away from it, and we say, no, I can rest and what Christ has done for me, which leads to real heart change. Because I start to see what he did. That's what Paul says at the end. I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Spirit of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I live in response to what he's done for me, and it lets me step outside of that. And there's a very practical application that I want to end with today when we think about us as a body of believers in the church. There's a wonderful thing that should happen, and it doesn't always, and it takes a long time for it to happen within a body of believers. But it frees us from hiding our sins. When we really get this, it frees us from hiding our struggles. Because if we really get the gospel, you can then say to other believers, this is where I'm struggling. Because you and them together can go, I'm not judged by you and you're not judged by me. We're judged by what, we're, we're made right by what God has done, not by our works. 
So when we start to really get what Jesus has done for us, we can open up and say, I'm struggling here, and I want Christ to live in me and to guide me, and I want you to help me. And I know you're not going to judge me because we're saved the same way. We're just as messed up as each other. And then we can come alongside of each other and then start to really not live in hypocrisy. We can really start to live in step with what the gospel says. Because I don't have to worry about, oh no, what this person thinks. I'm made righteous because of what Jesus has done for me, not because of what that that person thinks I'm a good person. It frees us to love and care for each other and exhort one another. That's why Hebrews says, Hebrews is such a communal book about what it looks like. And it says we become furiously obsessed with the gospel and then we exhort one another daily. And it says don't neglect meeting together. You meet together and you come alongside each other and you move together. And we move towards God and what he's done for us. And we tell each other what he's done for us so that we move away from hypocrisy. So we can walk in step with the gospel. So we can come alongside each other and say, oh, you're getting a little off right here. But I can do it lovingly in an unjudging way because I know the only way I can do it is because of Christ in me. You see how wonderful that idea is? The church should be the most freeing, wonderful place where we can come alongside and we can be clear and open and honest so that we can run after Christ because of what he's done for us. What a wonderful wonderful reality of justification by faith alone and what he's done for us. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for the truth of the gospel. I pray that we would be a people that continually reapplies the gospel to every area of our life. That we would let your grace come in and change us. And that we would um, then take that and go out and extend that grace to others clinging to the fact that we're only saved by what you've done for us, that that would transform us to care more about what you think and what you've told us and what you would have for our lives than anything else. Um, We know when that would happen, that when we start to do that, that people would see you more clearly, that we would change, um, not just where we are, but our world would change if we really embrace that. I pray that we would do that with all that we have. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.